Uh, my name's Dell, and one of the pastors here, and we're in our series on Seeking Him this week on sexual purity. And I remember, uh, kind of tipping off my age here a little bit, but uh, when I was in high school, reading a statistic about how, at that time, there were more adult bookstores um, in the United States than there were McDonald's. And I thought, man, that is a lot of adult bookstores. Um, and then came the internet. Um, and today, uh, estimations of about 42 million uh, pornographic websites that are available 24-7. In fact, you carry the potential for them, many of you, in your pocket. Um, and so I, I just feel um, that with the 24-7, pervasive, almost inescapable, inescapable bombardment of hypersexualized hyper, hyper images um, in our culture that it sort of just demands that we have an honest chat, okay, as a family. So I hope I don't offend anyone by that. I certainly don't mean to be coarse. I just feel, I just feel that the scope and the depth of this issue just demands an honest conversation. Um, and I hope to take us down the rabbit hole in terms of just understanding the harm um, that we're experiencing all of us um, as a culture and as families, and then also show, show us Jesus' way out, um, which is full of hope and glory. Okay, and so, but let me, just, let me just give you a few navigational buoys to help set our imagination this morning. Um, do you know that in the United States, um, actually globally, 35% of all internet traffic is pornographic? In nature, So the downloads, 35% of all downloads on the internet, the entire traffic on the internet is pornographic. 2.5 billion emails sent daily with pornographic content. More traffic in the United States on pornographic websites than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. More revenue, of course, being generated behind this is dollars. So in advertising and sales, $100 billion revenue stream, more revenue just here in the United States than the NBA, than the NFL, and the Major League Baseball combined. Okay, and we're a sports-crazed nation. doesn't put a dent um, in the scope, really, of this issue. All of us men, women, and children have been profoundly affected by what sociologists are calling the pornification of our culture, meaning that the basic storyline narrative of pornography has now become mainstream. So that our expectations about relationships, about men and women, about sexuality, um, really are set and compared by this dominant pornographic narrative. Basically, that people should be ready and enthusiastic for sex whenever, wherever, regardless of the cost or humiliation. Um, this is the basic storyline of television. Like, if you, if you look at it, just advertising um, the whole nine yards. So, uh, again, all of us affected. Um, 94%, according to recent surveys, of children will be exposed to pornography by the age of 14. Okay, so this is, this is down to that level. Uh, this has in the past been stereotypically 
considered a man's issue. However, the stats don't bear that out. Uh, 30% of all the pornographic downloads are by women. Um, and so, you know, we have, we have kind of a dual dynamic going on here. That's something that in the church particularly is thought of as mainly a male issue, uh, increases the shame of women that are also caught in this. And then we also have the, the byproduct of the fact that so many women are obviously the object of the pornography. And so you have all of those, uh, all of that pain. And I can just tell you it's profound pain. I'm raising three daughters in this culture, and even when you don't have pornography usage in the house, like, again, the pornification of the culture means that my daughters compare themselves every single day to entirely unrealistic and pornified norms. See what I'm saying? So, so this, ha- this happens at the marriage level. It happens at every level. Um, I don't think we can overstate um, how deeply this affects us right now and in every minute forward. Um, and so I think, again, this demands an honest conversation. Everyone feels the allure and or the repulsion and the expectations created by the pervasive narrative and images of that pornography exports 24-7, you know, in our culture, okay? Now, um, that's just to establish the relevancy, hopefully, in your imagination. Now, I want to say before we delve into this, because we're talking about sexual purity, and this could easily get lost. It deserves its own treatment, which we're not going to do today, but I want to say this first and foremost— God is actually for sex. So what we're not talking about, you know, here this morning, um, this is not an anti-sex position. This is not Victorian. This is not, you know, this is not trying to diminish sexual pleasure. Um, In fact, we should just remember together that God is the creator of all things, actually invented sex, has a context for it, wants sexual fulfillment, a part of his um, destiny for, for our hearts, um, and certainly wants sex to be honored and revered by all. Um, so this is, not the, this is not the issue. What I want to say, however, is that God in his goodness also um, understands as the creator the incredible impact of the perversion of something good and beautiful, sex. And this is why he gives commands everywhere and warnings um, against sexual immorality. So let me just look at one here. Um, this is very, this is very uh, similar to what you find elsewhere through the scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 4.3. God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Um, and I think all in the Greek there means all. Okay? And so God has a reason whenever he gives binding commands. Um, God is not up there just making rules to kill people's joy. He actually wants our best. He wants our fulfillment. He wants what's best for us. And so when, he, when we come up against a command like this, that is this you know, airtight and binding, um, we have to ask the question, why does God care? Because underneath and in that question, we start to unpack the heart of God, which is for our good. And so many people will say, um, when they think about sexual fantasy or porn or all the stuff that's related, I'm using pornography sort of as a placeholder because I think it's the hinge. Um, but what I'm referring to here is all sexual morality. Okay? Um, a lot of people will say, what's the big deal? So if it's between two consenting, if it's between consenting parties, or if particularly if it's in my own head, 
Like, isn't it true that the only person uh, that I'm really hurting is myself? Like, I'm not really harming anyone else, anybody else. How can this actually be that serious when it's a personal issue? Because this is something that I, I think we just should put the question out there because I hear it a lot in conversation with people. And, and, uh, and so, we, so what I want to say is, like, God actually thought otherwise because he says all forms of pornea, all forms of sexual immorality here. Um, and so let me give you a few of the reasons why I believe, I'm sure there's more, um, that we should take this matter of our sexual purity seriously, okay? And first, I'm going to say this. Porn harms the vulnerable. Now, I know most of us, when we, like, casually bump into porn, like, we're thinking, well, someone, someone was paid for this. Someone consented for this, okay? Um, now, I've already mentioned, however, that even at that level, this is, say, for argument for, for a second, that everybody consented, we're still, we're still dealing with the slew of pain being, being, uh, being perpetrated in our society by just the way that pornography as the mainstream narrative has reset unrealistic expectations for sexuality and destroyed, I'm going to get into this in a minute, destroyed all kinds of things. But let me just say very forcefully here, porn as, as, a, as a category primarily is not being driven by consenting folks. When you look at this worldwide, the vast majority of the people getting sucked into, you know, porn, especially as it gets deeper and deeper, you don't have to look very deep to discover that the market for sexual content being driven primarily by Western countries and primarily inside of that, the United States, is the fuel behind worldwide exploitation of women and children. And that many, many folks, I, I, I want to say the majority of folks being sucked into the manufacturing of pornography are not doing so under freedom of will. They're in economic or more coercive environments than that that are exploiting them brutally. And this, this pornography trade is the fuel behind sex trafficking all over the world. Let's just be honest with ourselves. Without a market, there would not be the sexual exploitation of women and children. Okay? And so I, I don't think that any of us, honestly, when we look at it, can brush it off that easily. Like, to, to provide the context in the marketplace for this is to be complicit with the harm, the great harm of children and women all over the world. Okay, number one. But secondly, porn disrupts intimacy. Folks that are involved in sexual fantasy over time lose a piece of themselves. They lose the ability to emotionally bond and to express love. This has been shown over and over again in studies because fantasy, the objectification, and the, the whole process of that takes us one step removed from a face-to-face relationship. It sucks us into isolation, and so we are one step back from that ability to bond and express love. It is positively correlated with negative attitudes toward marriage and child-rearing. It's correlated with extramarital affairs. Uh, Interestingly to me in in my study this week, 
I had heard this before, but it was confirmed. Um, it's correlated with sexual, it's, it's correlated with sexless marriages. So I'll get to, I'll, get, I'll talk to you in a minute about the laws of diminishing returns, but the, but the, the more and more you porn out on unrealistic images, the less attracted you are to normal ones, namely long-term monogamous ones. See what I'm saying? And so there is a, there is a positive correlation between the use of porn um, and sexlessness okay, in your marriage. So porn disrupts intimacy. It's interesting that the scripture actually says that those who sin against, who commit sexual sin, actually sin against their own body. Okay, I want to develop this a little further in 1 Corinthians 6. Porn actually reshapes your brain. Did you know this? The, the, biggest, um, the biggest field of research in recent years related to pornography and sexuality um, is the fact that pornography is a drug. Like, it, it, like it, it, the, the um, reward cycle of pornography is very similar to the same thing that you would get using a chemical or using alcohol. So that when you look at the, when you look at the brains of folks that are porning out, like they actually are different than normal brains because the frontal cortex begins to shrink. That's the, that's the area of your brain responsible for measuring consequences um, and judgment, like your conscience kind of like function. And then the pathways that dopamine reward release, high-intensity dopamine release, create really entrenched pathways in your brain. Um, so in other, way, in other words... To, to give yourself over to this more and more is to be on the cycle of becoming a dopamine head. And there are many folks now in secular contexts where this is not religious or moral, you know, in any respect, who just want to get off the train because they realize that, that what we're playing with here is chemically powerful. It's neurologically powerful. Okay, more about that in a second. Unbelievably, this is, and I didn't know this until I became a therapist, porn actually destroys sex. This is the ultimate irony. The law of diminishing returns is what? That, that basically in sexuality, it takes more and more to excite. And so what excited you today in pornography and sexual fantasy is not going to excite you tomorrow. So it, requ- it requires what? It requires more. More what? Well, more, 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 more. And so, and so pornography built into it leads people down a path of destructiveness okay, in terms of their sexuality. Now, here's, the, here's what I found out as a therapist. Did you know at the end of a full-blown sexual like pornogra- pornography addiction, do you know at the end of it is actually impotence? crazy like so the very thing that you turn to for sexual fulfillment you find that you no longer can be fulfilled in a normal context i point you back to sexless marriages but like basically basically you lose your ability to function in a healthy relationship so the, the end of it is intimacy and it is pornography is positively correlated with all kinds of sexual dysfunction so you could actually say if you want to have a great sex life actually get off porn Remember, I told you God is for sex, right? So, so he's, like, he's telling us the truth okay, about, about these things. Now, say, so, well, Dale, you paint a pretty, um, a pretty dark picture, um, especially since we're awash in this stuff. 
Like, like, and I, and I mean to say, like, to, to lower the bar here um, for you, like, I'm not sharing lots of stats, but the one that maybe would help us is that this is big time in the church. Okay, so, again, men and women, so more, more than half, okay? Um, and I think, I suspect that the other half might be lying, okay? It's, it's a lot. It's very pervasive. It's impossible not to be, okay? It's impossible not to be in this, without intentionality and God's grace because we are awash. We live in a pornified culture. You, you cannot step outside your door and do anything, without pornography and the narrative of it basically shaping the culture. It's like everywhere. Okay, so, so the question of, the, my next question then has incredible relevance. Is there a path, is there a legitimate path to freedom? Okay, and I wanna, I'm going to cheat on the quiz. Yes. Okay, there is. Now, I didn't say it was going to be easy. Okay, I didn't say it was going to be easy, but there is a path. Now, I want to I give you the shape of it. Again, we could go all over the place on this in the scripture, just for simplicity's sake and the fact that I ran out of time way early last service. Okay, uh, just go to one place. First Thessalonians 4, again, I'm going to read you the full context of what I read you at the beginning. Okay, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who did not know God, and that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Okay, I want to I suggest to you that in these three verses, we have the shape and the pathway okay, to freedom. I'm going to give it to you in three point, okay? The first is this. Scripture says that we're to avoid all sexual immorality. Now, this is not the same as the Saturday Night Live skit where the person comes in and the psychologist just says, well, just stop it. Okay, saw that. This is not the same. Um, When the Bible says to avoid all, uh, all sexual immorality, it needs to be contextualized with other places that the Bible talks about this. So I'm giving you two here. Colossians 3, 5. Put to death the sinful earthly lurkings within you have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. What this, what this uh, verse speaks to is the fact that there must be a ruthless going to war with this area of our life. In other words, there is no, there is no path to freedom without absolute intentionality on your part and mine, and as a community, where we simply do not let this slide by, we face it head on with the kind of intensity of whether our life or death depended on it. And here's what I want to say to you, because it does. We're in the, pro- we're in the process of actually being killed and destroyed at very fundamental levels by this issue. Okay? And so the scripture, again, incredibly honest, says you're at war, you've got to get your battle gear on, that means you've got to have a battle plan, you've got to know how to fight, like all this stuff. I don't have time to talk about it fully here, but what I'm trying to say here is low-hanging fruit number one. Do you have a battle plan for this? Okay, if you don't, come talk to me or Pastor Bill or any of the elders or, in fact, 
Let's talk to each other about this, okay? Second part of this avoiding. That we're to make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Now, again, I don't mean to be crass here, but I've been speaking for quite a few years. Like, I've never seen anyone, like, just looking at porn right in the middle of the service. If you're doing that right now, stop it. Okay, but I've never seen that. So what it means is that even porn addicts, people, even something that we'd say, I, have no, I really can't stop, like I've tried a million times. Well, you stop in certain places, okay? And so here's the clue. I'm not degrading you. I'm just saying here's the clue. Context is everything. Context is everything. And what this verse is, at, what this verse is inviting us to examine is not just trying to stop the behavior. It's trying to help us examine the context. So here's the question. Where do you get it? Where do you struggle? Where, where, do you, where do you make provision? Because if you, can, if you can fight the battle at the level of the context, even if your heart has not been changed yet, you can stop feeding the beast. Now, I don't have time to talk about this in length, but let me just tell you, this is context. Do you follow what I'm saying? This is context. If I don't have control of this area of my life and I don't have a plan for this, like I have not, I have not dealt with context. I'm using this representatively. So what I'm saying? You say, well, I need this for work. Well, you know, there's a big movement right now to go back to flip phones. Just saying. For lots of reasons. But ruthlessness Warlike mentality, like, takes charge of the context so we don't keep feeding the beast, okay? Secondly, this is where I want to spend the most time. I was really struck in reading this text with the idea that the scripture says, learn self-control. Learn to put on control. So in other words, every one of us at this point in time has a certain amount of like ability to control, like to live with honor in our bodies by the Spirit's power, right? But it's not limitless, and it's in development, okay? And there's a bunch of stuff that we need to learn about this. Now, I'm going to put my counselor hat on, and hopefully I don't go too psychological on you here, but I want you to know a few things. Because the, because the formula of simply prayer, Bible reading, and accountability that's been around, it, it can help, but, but a lot of people lie to their accountability partners. I'm just telling you. A lot of people lie to their accountability partners. So accountability is only as good as you make it, right? And I want to I give you a little broader context. And he, I think you need to learn four things. So we're all under learn here about self-control. Number one, your deepest craving isn't sex. I don't care how, say, well, I got an incredibly strong, like it's just like, it's on fire. I'm on fire. Well, your, your deepest craving isn't sex. As a human being. And so l- let me talk to you about what is. This is um, Sean McDowell. The beings made in the image of God, we are meant to be in healthy relationships with God and other people. If those relational needs are not met by our family, friends, and God, then a relational counterfeit will step in to take its place. These counterfeits include drugs, alcohol, sex, eating disorders, overworking success, materialism, and, of course, pornography. 
If we are raising a generation of people whose common denominator is really loneliness and relational disconnection, their relational hole must be filled with something, and pornography is arguably the most powerful and accessible counterfeit. Let me just speak to you for a second. Your deepest need is to be loved and to give love. The very shape of pornography is to take you away from the reality of love and to, and to put you in a fantasy land that is one step removed. It's to put you in isolation. Okay? However, if you do not find ways to fill your heart with genuine love, you will be particularly susceptible to the counterfeit of it, which is what it is. Okay? So put that in your brain. I'm going to give you another thought. Here's another lie of pornography. Pornography says, give me all of your shame. Give me your humiliation. Give me your futility. And I will give you a world where it all goes away. So the human heart, in the absence of, of genuine love, has all kinds of feelings. Now, guy, now guys are not very good you know, at this, this part. This is a men and women issue. But guys are not very good at this part because we do one emotion. Anger. Right? Like everything gets filtered through it. And all of the shame, all of the inadequacy, all the needs for affirmation, all the, need, all the needs get jammed up you know, in no man's land. And so anger is an acceptable outlet. And guess what else is? Culturally. Sex. Okay, now I'm not making excuses. I'm just telling you that until you begin to peel the nature of how your sexual temptation is working apart, you're going to be fighting things that are deeper than sex. Okay? You've got to peel this apart. Next quote. This is Jay Stringer, by the way. Some of the, some of the attraction for pornography is that it claims to meet our ne- deeper needs for acceptance while avoiding the potential of being hurt. Porn offers sex without risk and vulnerability. Porn puts the user in control, which is intensely alluring, especially when real-world relationships can be painful and unpredictable. Pornography offers a surrogate experience of care. Now, I don't, again, I'm running out of time. But I just want to say to you that your deepest craving isn't sex. And often what the pornography addiction or the sexual fantasy is actually providing is more than sexual reward. It's providing a, a pseudo sense of care for your heart that has to be taken responsibility for and met in legitimate ways. That's your job. Okay? Like, as a grown-up, like you've, got, you've got to come forward with that and start to ask God and others to learn how to do that because you probably don't know. All right? Here's the second thing we've got to learn. Our lusts are actually trying to tell you something. Now, you probably feel at some level that, that your lust and your failure in this area is the most shameful, unforgivable thing, and it's entirely bad. But let me, say, let me tell you this. It actually, it actually has a positive side. It's, try, it's actually a messenger. So listen to Jay Stringer. By the way, this is from his really good book called Unwanted. Sexual fantasies are messengers You may not like the news they bring, but they will knock on the door of your life until you listen to what they need to tell you. When we find ourselves depressed, angry, bored, or lonely, we will often seek out a particular type of pornography apropos to our situation. 
If we want to outgrow our need for pornography, we need to gain a sense of what it symbolizes for us. Next quote. The irony of sexual fantasy is that it will be the most honest portion of your life until you begin to address your past wounds and the madness of your present life. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? That, our, that the shape of our lust actually are messengers trying to tell us something about the deeper needs of our heart. So you can sit back and go, well, I know I need Jesus. I mean, I just need Jesus. That's true. But do you know how you need Jesus? This is what your lusts are trying to tell you. They're trying to, they're trying to give you clues, brutally and honestly, about the nature of your heart's true need. And so this is, a, this is a place, again, I don't have time to, but I'm hoping people are lay, laying hold of hope here in different places. This is a place where you need to talk to somebody, okay, about these things before Jesus. Here's the third thing you need to learn as you're learning self-control. Take your struggles to Jesus versus wishing that they would go away. I've, I've talked to a million people who just are like, man, I've tried a thousand things. I've failed a thousand times. I've asked God a million times. Like, I'm out. Like, I just gave up. And here's the deal. Jesus is not going to wave a magic wand most of the time over, over our addictions because he wants us to go through the process of what I just described. He wants us, he wants us to learn the secret of true fulfillment. And I'm going to talk about that in a second in him and in relationship. He's not going to wave a magic wand over you to let you out of that journey so that you can pursue life recklessly without the lesson. That would not be, see what I'm saying? It wouldn't even make sense. He loves you. It wouldn't make any sense. So try, instead of wishing your struggles away, try taking your struggles radically to Jesus and others, like Jesus' people. Like bring, it into, bring it out of isolation. Bring it before God. Okay, and let me just read this quote for you. I love this. One thing that always surprises me about God is that he asks questions to those in distress. This is Jay Stringer. To Adam, God asked, where are you? To, ta- to Cain, God asked, why are you so angry? And why is your face fallen? To Hagar, the angel of the Lord inquires, where do you come from and where are you going? Do you get the, you get the gist of this? God knew the answers to all those questions. Who was he wanting, to, who was he wanting to realize, them to realize? The people, right? He, when, we bring our, when we bring our honest questions to God, like, he knows the answer, but what, he, what his commitment is to not absolve us of pain, it's to help us grow. So, like, so like God knows, and he wants, he wants you to inquire, okay, about, about what's driving your lust, okay? Fourthly, we need to learn that love is the antidote to shame. Now, Pastorally, just look up, look at me here for a second. I don't actually like doing things like this. I don't. <laughs> but, but I know how caught, like, we are. Like, I just, I just know how caught we are in this. And the church, for whatever reason, has not generally been a safe place to have this conversation. Because on the, I don't know, there is no hierarchy of sins, but it seems like it. Right? So on this one, like, we shame out. Like, totally. Like, and if you failed a billion times on this, like, the last thing you want to do is tell someone else again. Like, if you've ever adventured that, you don't want to, like, you want to tell your good stories, not your bad ones. And then if you're a woman in this, like, on either side of the equation, like, it, like there's another level. Okay? Um, 
And it can even start to feel, shame can be so pervasive, this can feel so dirty, that actually we make a subtle but really important shift. We actually begin to believe that we are the dirt. That people and God could never really love us if they actually knew. And so what do we double down on? The secrecy and the shame. But guess what the best short-term, like just amazing relief for shame is? Short-term. Addictions are awesome for that. Like porn is awesome for that. Remember? It's just like, give me all your problems. Give me all your your humiliations. Give me all your futility. So the shame cycle, like as we shame out, it actually like does the opposite. It like actually makes us more vulnerable to more sin, which then produces what? More shame. And on and on we go. So like, so like, wow. Let's not do that. Because we have this glorious thing called the gospel, which is actually good news for broken people. And that actually says you are loved radically You were given an identity as a son or a daughter. Not after you clean up your act, but while you're an enemy. Like this is when God pursues you. This is how he loves you. This is how we know what love is. Right? On and on. So the gospel speaks to the core of shame. It separates the sin from our identity. You are not, look look at me. You are more than your addiction. You are more than your struggle. And you are loved. And to the degree that you begin to believe that, you will have space to explore with Jesus the other pieces of this that will free your heart. Okay, so love is the antidote to shame. Again, Jay Stringer here, so good. You can tell I'm, I'm like Jay Stringer fan this morning. Okay, if, you, if, if sexual struggles are not grounds for judgment, they become the very geography where we come to know the kindness of God. I love that. The context of your brokenness, your addiction, actually is the context in which, if you will open your heart, you will discover the profoundness and the greatness of the love of God um, to your heart. Okay? Now, here's the, here's the final, like I told you, this First Thessalonians 4 gives you three things, like a shape. So we've talked about it's at, you know, avoiding sexual immorality, learning to, learning to practice self-control. Here's the final thing. We need to learn how to love people and use things. Now, it's not, hard to, it's not hard to see, like, in this context now. Like, it's hard to see when you're alone. But, like, in this context, you were made by love, for love. Isn't it a, isn't it a dirty, rotten trick of the enemy to, like, reverse that perfectly? And say to us, use people, love things. And that, that's what pornography does. That's what sexual fantasy does. It uses people and it loves things. So it's interesting that in First Thessalonians 4, the last part of it, it's sort of like the why Paul's saying avoid sexual immorality and learn to control yourself in honor and dignity. That nobody, that no one sin against a brother or sister in this manner. Like, do you see the whole relational? The whole thing of it is like you were made for love and to love. Therefore, take this seriously because that's inverting your whole purpose. And when you do this, you use people and you love things, which is the opposite of what you were made for. Therefore, no ultimate fulfillment, destruction to your body and community, 
but, but you miss the purpose of your life, okay? So, so flip that. Learn, learn to do it. And in this, I think, is the clue, like more than just that admonition, there's a clue to how we heal. So if, if sexual fantasy and pornography is the inversion, like lust is the inversion, where it's turning us in on ourselves, it's pushing us into isolation, it's pushing people away through objectifying them or through shame, right? See the, see the movement? What do you imagine the healing would be? Right? It's, when, it's, as, you bring, it's as you bring those very people closer to you, not farther. You, you've probably heard this a thousand times in church, but this is, this is not to beat you over head with it. It's like to say that secrecy, isolation, withdrawal, like self, like the self turning it on the self is all the hallmarks of where lust and all the stuff finds its power. When you blow that up, and move the other direction and say, what, what my heart needs is affirmation. What it needs is to learn how to love and get, you know, receive love. It's to be known. It's to know others. It's to have a purpose that's beyond myself. It's to find meaning. See what I'm saying? Like, this is, the, this is the kingdom of God. When you start to move that way, you find yourself, lo and behold, on the path to a kind of freedom that the power of this stuff starts to lose its grip. I promise you. I promise you. Now, one final story. I know I'm it's 12, 10 after, okay, so five minutes. How many of you in high school read Ulysses' like, great adventure around the world? What are our high schools coming to? Okay, it's, you know, it's from the mythology. Cool stories, but like, like Ulysses is an adventurer. He travels around the world. He has all kinds of conquest. He has all kinds of, you know, you know ventures. Well, one of, one of his... One of his obstacles on the worldwide journey was to get past, and he had heard, rumor, he had heard rumors of these, the sirens. And the sirens were these mythical creatures that would appear to sailors after they'd been gone a long time on sea. They would, they would show up on the horizon. They were sexualized. They were, you know, like very desirable sexually. They had this beautiful, alluring song. It was like the essence of seduction all in one package. That's a siren. And they would start to sing, and sailors would be so overcome with desire that they would lose their mind, jump over the side, swim towards the sirens. They got to the sirens, and of course, they weren't beautiful apparitions. They were devouring beasts. And so they would be eaten alive. And so Ulysses had heard about this, and he didn't want to fall prey. And so what he did was, is he told his men, when we go around this corner where the sirens are, I want all of you to stop up your ears with, you know, with wax. I want you to turn the opposite direction under no circumstances. Look, um, and we're going to make it around this bend because we're going to hear no evil and we're going to see no evil. But Ulysses wanted the full experience. And so he said, but me, I want you to lash me to the mask. And I want no ear wax. I want, you know, I want to I see it full on and experience, you know, the depth of temptation. And under no circumstances, no matter what I say, untie me. So they went around the bend. Sure enough, the sirens began to sing. The men were okay because they were not hearing or seeing. Ulysses went mad with desire. Began to shout that they release him. Completely lost all self-control. Fortunately, his men obeyed his first instructions. And he lived to make the journey. Well, 
Sometime later, one of his companions, Jason, made the same journey with his men. But he decided on the exact opposite strategy. And instead of the earwax and the binding to the mast, Jason went out and found the most renowned musician in the world who sang the world's most beautiful song. And he conscripted her for the journey. And when the sirens began to sing, this musician began to sing her more beautiful song. And the men were so enraptured by the sweetness and the beauty of that song that the counterfeit songs of the sirens held no power. And see, I think that's the beautiful vision of what it is that God offers us over time as we learn to cultivate love and relationship and joy and our heart's true meaning. There is a beautiful way. There is a beautiful one. There is a beautiful song. And he's inviting anyone to come and experience the freedom of life with him. I hope that uh, this talk has kind of spurred your imagination. My goal for this talk is that it would spur other talks. And I hope that you will seek out friends, spiritual friends, pastors. Like we have this group called the Elders. You guys ever heard of them? We vote on them every once in a while. Um, But really what they're for is to be friends to the soul. They're just like, come alongside like the actual stuff in life's journey and just have conversations. So seek them out. Um, Okay, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the ability to have honest conversations um, from your word. We thank you that, um, that however dark our culture becomes, the, the wisdom and words of Jesus Christ, those who have followed him, have life and power that are eternal and are greater than. And I pray that, I pray that we would hear this more. I pray that we'd hear it as hope, but I pray that we would take the steps to begin to find that Jesus actually knows the way, not only to eternal life, but to freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.